0: Beak, central. Oh. episode 507 <laughs> warning access restricted please submit to DNA verification processing verification complete access granted welcome <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room of the Christian Geek Center Podcast. Biblical examination. Celebration. Geeky geek. Geeky geek, geek, dik. Geek, 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 I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm time traveling Pater right now. I haven't gone to record or uh, haven't gone to see upgrade yet. It's Friday morning as I record this. And uh the summer sun the summer sun is coming out earlier and we got blinds and that helped some of the problem but for some reason I still am waking up way too early and can't get back to sleep oh my gosh, oh my gosh and then I miss my windows during the day to take a nap because I got too much stuff going on (sighs) and I had been going to bed earlier for a couple nights this week, but not as much last night, so I think I'm paying for that right now. Um all right, let me see if I can summon up some of that energy so you don't gotta listen to this crap <laughs> during the ins and outs of uh, the rest of the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live increasingly for Christ, experiencing the life-giving freedom and purpose he has made us for. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com on the show today my reviews of solo a Star Wars story and upgrade which as I mentioned a moment ago I have not seen yet but I think will be my cup of tea we'll find out uh, and then I'm also gonna share my list of jaded predictions and wishful thoughts for e3 2018 as well as some additional thoughts that I'll share at the very end of the podcast that because of a leak that happened and uh, As I was uploading my video about my E3 uh, predictions and wishes, there was a leak that happened (laughs) that uh, uh, changed, certainly changes what I would have put in my predictions. I think most of my predictions for Ubisoft still stand, but anyway, there was an interesting leak. I'll talk about that at the end of the podcast, after that main E3 segment. Lots to do. I hopefully can stay conscious for it. Let's get going.
0: Displacement engines are charged for warp. Captain Franson.
1: Great, computer. Set a course for the uncharted territories. By your command.
0: And might I compliment your choice of clothing today?
1: Oh, thanks. Almost went with the blue shirt, but felt like red at the last minute. Warning. Enemy ships approaching. Divert power to shields.
0: Defensive systems malfunctioning. Oh, what? Overdue what? for annual maintenance. Oh,
1: oh, come on. Incoming weapons fire. Evasive maneuvers. Arm the photon torpedo. Wormhole detected. What? Wormhole? Where the frizz did that come from? Critical gravitational damage. No,
0: no, 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 no. Oh, super. Nova detected within lethal range. Oh, We've got... projected the... chance of lethality 100%.
1: What the crap is going on? Solo! A Star Wars story. Uh, all right, the synopsis on IMDB reads, With the emerging demand of hyperfuel and other resources, Han Solo finds... Or is it... Hmm, a question this movie raises. Uh, not really. Uh, it's a topic that's addressed, though. Han Solo finds himself in the middle of a heist alongside other criminals where they meet the likes of Chewbacca and Lando Calrissian Is it Calrissian or Rizzian? Rissian, I think. Uh, in an adventurous situation exposing the criminal underworld of the Star Wars saga. Uh, now, I should let you know from the start... I am not, um, like, a rabid fan of Star Wars. I'm not, I, I don't even particularly these days have a, a special place in my heart for Star Wars. No nostalgia for Star Wars. No preference for Star Wars over another fictional sci-fi space universe. Um, so, anyway, it's not that I dislike Star Wars. I just, you know, I, I don't... it it doesn't have any points already earned with me when I sit in the theater to watch a Star Wars movie. I just like, okay, here's a sci-fi movie. Let's see if this sci-fi movie is any good. So anyway, um, as far as the story, the script, the pacing, the tone, not going to give any spoilers. It's largely the same lighthearted affair that, uh, that Star Wars movies usually are very adventurous without getting really weighty and, you know, dramatically heavy. The story is mostly about Han Solo escaping a life of oppression and poverty in his younger days. Although I have to say, it's not clear to me exactly how many years before say uh, A New Hope this story takes place Uh, especially later in the movie there's a scene that makes me wonder what it's relationship to the events like the timeline the events of the prequels is like how old is Han Solo supposed to be in this movie really kind of Yeah, I I wish that would have been more clear to me. And of course, you know, when these familiar characters either are not showing their age, in the case of Chewbacca, or they've been been recast, in the case of uh, Han Solo and and Lando, uh, it's... It's hard to gauge how young are they are they really supposed to be you know you can't necessarily go off of the actors ages of you know in this movie compared to the the actors as they were you know at the time of filming those original Star Wars movies so anyway I wish that would have been more clear it would have been nice for me uh, just in terms of like sussing out what the continuity is um, so it's about Han Solo escaping this life of oppression and poverty that he grew up in and his personal mission now to get enough money through a life of uh, you know crime and scams and stuff like that so that he can buy a ship and uh, rescue and then sail off with uh, his girlfriend. And this life, of course, gets him into a series of scrapes and brings him into contact with the roguish elements of the underworld, some of whom he befriends and others he comes into conflict with and sometimes both. Uh, Now, I wasn't invested in the story and felt no sense of danger, really, because of the light tone. Uh, But in the last Thirty minutes. The story took some unexpected turns for me that that uh, make me think that we could see some interesting character development in a sequel. They left Han in a place, some things having happened to him, where I thought, oh, I can see how that would be formative to him in terms of how he views people and the world, and you know what he's all about. I can see how this could be a uh, a, a turning point for him as a character. But it happened so late in the movie that it wasn't explored in this movie. It just made me think, okay, if they make another Han Solo movie i can see them exploring what uh what is what has potentially changed in him as a result of the the events near the end of this movie uh, and i i hope we do see that uh, like a han solo sequel i think that would be i think it'd be kind of cool and like to see kind of where these characters go even knowing where eventually han solo and lando end up um let's see what else the movie also has one or two nice references to the dual nature of Han Solo, and by that I'm referring to his uh, nature as a selfish criminal who's only interested in money, and then also his nature as a good-hearted hero. Um, and one of those natures, in spirit, uh, as it's presented in this movie, flies in the face of uh, even one of George Lucas's interpretive choices for Han Solo. I think fans will get a kick out of that. There's also a surprising connection to one of the prequel movies. Again, um, no spoilers. That uh, that comes in the last 30 minutes that I was like, whoa, interesting choice. And I really hope that they'll uh, follow up on that in another Han Solo movie or even the upcoming episode 9. There was uh, something that was an opportunity that was completely wasted in episode 8. And I think that what they've done here, if applied to episode 9, could uh, help remedy what uh, was stolen from us in, uh, episode 8. Anyway, that's as, that's as specific and clear as I'm going to get on that issue. If you have seen the Han Solo movie, then maybe you know what I'm talking about and what I would like to see. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the cast briefly. The cast, I felt like, was solid in their roles and in some cases improved upon the original cast and the performances for the, for these characters, as far as my tastes are concerned. Uh, Alden Ehrenreich, if that's how you pronounce his name, he plays Han Solo, and he uses some nice performance elements that are carried over from Harrison Ford's portrayal of the character, but he also fleshes him out further as the script allows. I mean, this is a whole movie that's focused on Han Solo, where Han Solo is the main character surrounded by an ensemble cast, as opposed to being a supporting character. If they make another Han Solo movie, what's interesting to me is that this that Alden Ehrenreich will probably have more screen time playing Han Solo than Harrison Ford in the four right? Four movies that he appeared in as that character? Because he was only a supporting character in those movies. So I wonder if you counted up the screen time of two Han Solo movies uh, with Aaron Reich if he would uh, come up with more screen time than Harrison Ford. Uh, I'll bet I'll bet that he would. So uh, Junas Su- Suotama I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering both of these uh, actor names, but anyway uh, Suotama wears the Chewbacca suit in this movie, as he has also done in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi but I felt like he brought more Fluidity and personality to Chewbacca through his uh, just through his body movements, the way that he carried himself, you know. So uh, I felt like in the uh, original trilogy there was a bit of a stiffness uh, to uh, to the character, and I feel like he's given a little bit more. Uh, I don't know, he's, he's a little more loosey, a little more uh, limber or something. <laughs> I don't know. But I felt like he was more um, expressive in some ways in the way he carried himself in this movie than we've seen Chewbacca before, and that was nice. Donald Glover was an enjoyable Lando Calrissian for me, and he also brought, brought some improved expressive variety. Again, that's not necessarily a knock on the original actor, whose name totally escapes me right now. Uh, you can put in the comments if somebody wants to. Um, but there just wasn't time and, and reason for his character to be fleshed out and to have any other kind of layers to him and uh, Glover was certainly given the opportunity to give us more than just the suave version, you know, of uh, Lando. But we got to see some of his, some of his heart, you know. So that was nice. In general, the performances just had a, a more modern and varied style compared to the more straightforward. I don't want to say one note because that sounds insulting, but there was a style common to sci-fi and fantasy acting, and maybe you could say movies in general of the '70s and '80s, where performances were just more straightforward. They were less layered. They had less sub text and stuff like that you know if a good example would be the star trek tv series you know uh, and the kind of the style of acting compared to uh well even just later star trek you know like deep space nine or something like that so um so, seeing these characters given kind of the freedom to have subtext and some a little bit of layers to them was a really nice treatment for the Star Wars universe and it once again just makes me wish they'd do a hard reboot of the entire continuity or jump forward in, in the timeline like 200 years so we can finally break ties all together with the dated production style, the writing style, the acting style, all those things of the original trilogy. I'm sure that's going to be very controversial. <laughs> for some people, but that's what I would love to see happen. Anyway, moving on. Stunts and visuals, lots of great practical effects that helped the movie feel more grounded to me, more like a real world that I could actually be in. I didn't feel like the actors were looking at tennis balls all the time, which was really nice. The visual design is also more like the uh, original trilogy than, say, the prequels, you know, where the original trilogy had these bulky, you know, used ships and used technology, you know, that, that had some scars and dents and stuff, rather than the shiny, reflective materials that was more common to uh, the, the the prequel movies there's still lots of CG in this one but it didn't feel leaned on more than it should have been to me um you know I didn't have anything in my notes about the music and sound but I would just comment I guess that it it does borrow themes a little bit from the original Star Wars movies and I guess it felt like it had to and it wasn't really it wasn't done in like this really annoying in your face kind of way but it, it did take me out now and then I was like I don't know does that does is that theme really the right fit for right here is that what that theme Signifies, you know, does it? You know, or or should that theme, you know, da, 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 ba, 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 is that theme uh, specific to the original trilogy or those those core movies that are about the battle between the the light side of the force and the dark side? Which that really doesn't come into play in this story at all. So it was weird. I was just like, I guess that's just the things are going great and adventurous theme in Star Wars, you know. So it it kind of got it lost its. I guess it's meaning and what, I'm, what I normally associate that theme with and in the way that it was brought in. But I understand why they do it. They want to, you know, connect it and all that kind of stuff. And, and the music style was still, even though it wasn't John Williams, I don't think, uh, it still had this kind of uh, melodramatic style to it that kept things from ever getting too serious. Oh, gosh, you know, heaven forbid that Star Wars should ever really stay in a dark, heavy, serious place for a while. I know. I'm just a grump and I... I love moody, dark things, and that doesn't belong in Star Wars. Yes, yes, I know. It would totally tick off a bunch of people, but I would love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, relevance. Is there anything of moral, philosophical, or, or spiritual significance going on in the, this story that might stimulate worthwhile thought or conversation? I don't know. Uh, what was interesting to me that was, was that we're clearly, I think, meant to be emotionally invested in the well-being of a comic relief android character who frequently in this movie barks about wanting civil rights. And that was a weird choice to me because androids have not really been treated as real people by human characters in... Uh, past movies, they've been just kind of dismissed, even by Luke Skywalker he's very dismissive of the concerns of C-3PO and stuff like that And you know, he, the the androids are largely treated uh, I don't want to say all the time, I do feel like sometimes they're treated with some kind of compassion or tenderness or affection but it's really, it's unclear based on how androids are treated in Star Wars, whether or not they are real people, or if they are just ones and zeros, or what is going on there and this movie kind of leaned more in the direction, even though it kept the Android is largely a, a comedic character it leaned more in the direction of wanting me to emotionally invest like in not just enjoy and laugh at and have fun with you know and and have like a affection for an Android kind of like I feel like they're treated kind of like pets you know where they are valued and they and they are uh, considered worthy of compassion but not in the same way as like a human being you know um, and I felt like going into like the civil rights kind of stuff was maybe a step too far or something it just felt out of place for how androids have been treated, how we've been asked to think about androids in past Star Wars stories, uh, at least in, in the movies. Um, but it did seem clear to me that the filmmakers wanted me to care about the well-being of this character just as much as any of the other human characters. When they were in danger, when things were not going well, when their life was threatened, it, it seemed clear to me that I was supposed to really care about this, you know, I was supposed to value this person as much as, this character as much as a person, you know, um, but then if I start thinking about Star Wars droids as real people who should have as many rights as humans, who should be valued as much as the human characters, then suddenly, if you go back and watch those other Star Wars movies, a bunch of these heroic characters that are good guys in this movie franchise start looking like heartless racists if we're supposed to be thinking of androids as people just as much as any other human characters in the in the, the story. So um, I don't think Star Wars is the place to probe questions about the define defining characteristics of personhood. Uh, I think that's better left to, you know, movies like I, Robot, or maybe even The Terminator, or something like that. I just don't think Star Wars is the place that makes sense to do that, because it feels weird and inconsistent with how they've asked us or encouraged us, maybe I should say, to think about androids, or droids in past movies. And while they really didn't probe deeply into, you know, questions of of defining, or or at all, uh, regarding questions about the defining characteristics of personhood in this movie, it did feel like a strange out-of-place step in that direction so um yeah it was it was weird i can see maybe why they would do that because of i don't want to give i I don't want to give away anything that might spoil anything um but i can see why maybe they would do that because it there's a little nudge wink wink thing that could be related to continuity in uh, uh the the main you know movies but i don't know weird weird stuff anyway um I have no idea what your tastes in movies are. Probably very different from mine, especially when it comes to Star Wars. But if I were a time traveler, I'd go back in time and say, Peter, you know, red box this one when you've got nothing else to do. The world is interesting to look at as always Uh, and they do some interesting things in the last 30 minutes that you're going to want to know about to talk about at the water cooler and to especially if they kind of let it carry over into another Han Solo movie or into you know episode 9 or something like that that last 30 minutes has some interesting turns that you'll want to just kind of know about and see play out in front of you but otherwise it's not going to do anything to make you feel more than your current indifference about Star Wars All right, it's rated PG-13 for sequences of sci-fi action and violence and those are all the thoughts i have about it i want to remind you guys to go check out the other members of the christian geek central network such as the strangers and aliens podcast the theology gaming podcast the untold podcast i'm not gonna do it in one breath way too tired postos helix reviews and the retro rewind podcast for more information about the cgc network visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. All right, this is, um, this is, um, audio journal number five since the incident. I'm still pretty sure I've developed some kind of superpowers despite the negative results in the last four tests. Um, I'm going to give it another try today after a trip to the hardware store. This is invulnerability test number one. (gasps) Uh, 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 Healing Factor, this is Healing Factor test number one upgrade. Oh oh, 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 man. The synopsis on IMDb reads, set in the near future, technology controls nearly all aspects of life, but when Gray, a self-identified technophobe, has his world turned upside down, his only hope for revenge is an experimental computer chip implant called STEM. Now, what the trailer will also tell you, this is, I don't think these are spoilers, you just see this in the trailer uh, for the movie, which I recommend that you check out uh, the trailer will also tell you that gray is paralyzed early in the movie and the AI controlled computer chip stem enables him to walk do kung fu and all kinds of crazy crap to help him hunt down the people who killed his wife all that happens at the very beginning uh, of, of the movie I loved this movie <laughs> oh my gosh um, let me talk about the the story the script the pacing the tone just kind of what this animal is There's some things I definitely am just not going to say. Um, The the trailer does not present, in a nutshell, what the experience will be. I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, this totally looks like my kind of movie. It looks like it's going to have brutal action and definitely some superhero vibes and some fish out of water humor. I'm in. Um, And it does, it has all those things. But what I love about this trailer is that it doesn't tell, there's so much it doesn't tell you about what kind of movie this is, where what direction this movie goes. Um I mean, you, you you take the genres of superhero and then some horror and then some revenge revenge flick and then science fiction and you just throw them in a blender and then toss your expectations out the window. I mean wow. I I love it when a movie can Surprise me in a in a way that is delightful to me. Uh, it definitely has tons of action, but also slows down for some weighty human drama, especially near the beginning as Gray is dealing with his paralysis there i mean they They go to some kind of heavy places and and I think probably just take a few basic snapshots of, of what I, I can imagine a person with paralysis is uh, suffering with and, and having to adapt to and stuff. You know, there there are so many movies like this where if they paralyzed a character and then brought in some kind of like cybernetic thing to restore him and it has lots of superhero action, they would gloss over some of just kind of like the private dark realities of of uh, dealing with, uh, with permanent paralysis, you know, but I felt like this movie at least attempted to touch on some of those things and it did it in a way that made me feel pity and compassion for this character. I love it when a movie, even if it's going to be, you know, fun and funny and action-y and stuff like that, can also take me to those heavy moments because that makes me feel the action so much more later on when the character is, you know, able to strike back at the people that wronged him so much. It's those dark valleys that make the victory moment so much more powerful for me. And I wish so much that more movies would allow for those dark moments so that I could have a reason to stand and cheer, you know, Uh, instead of just seeing a bunch of eye candy. Yeah, well, of course, he's the super guy. He's going to do the kung fu and then the mustache twirling bad guy is going to be hauled off to prison you know uh i i I like to feel something when these uh when in in all these kinds of stories where it's good versus evil and all the complexities in between anyway There's lots of darkly funny moments and fish-out-of-water humor that come out of uh, STEM. Remember, that's the AI uh, computer system. Uh, STEM's brutal efficiency at at killing. And Grey, while he's doing all this kung fu, has this shocked, horrified look on his eyes at what his own body is doing. It's great. You can see some of that in the trailer. Um, There are satisfying moments when Grey is empowered by STEM, too, that give off those kind of superhero vibes. There's also suspense throughout, which was great because Grey still has this vulnerable human body um, that is often at risk despite his newfound offensive powers that can in, you know, bursts make him seem like he's just totally unstoppable. So it's really cool when you have a character that can be so powerful and unstoppable and yet very vulnerable at the same time it keeps the intensity in uh, in all those action sequences. This is a dark future where body modification through cybernetics is commonplace um, and a, a technophobe like Grey is like the rare exception almost everybody else has some kind of technology in their body doing stuff you know um, and so and human integration with technology in general is pervasive you know you think about like uh, Alexa you know the uh, the little just the beginnings of these ai interfaces that we can have in our homes um and you know we can say alexa turn on this or alexa do that or whatever or xbox do this blah blah you know so it's it's all of that kind of stuff but taken much much further so there are these artificial ai systems that people are interacting with all the time that are driving their cars that are making their dinners you know all this kinds of stuff Um, there are some cerebral and thought-provoking themes about our connection to technology and the downfalls that that could lead to. Really appreciated that, especially in a movie that has so much action and stuff. To also have some of those kind of, like, uh, thoughtful themes is really appreciated by me. It's been a long time since I've seen a movie with a script that incorporated so many diverse elements that I personally love. And the things I love most about this movie, I don't even dare hint at, you know? Um, so if the trailer looks enjoyable to you, I think you'll enjoy this movie, unless you want just a straightforward story that won't go in unexpected directions that maybe even change the feel of the movie as a whole itself. Um, I I cannot categorize this film, and I love it for that. Alright, let's talk about the cast just briefly, and really, I just want to talk about Logan Marshall Green. He plays uh, the main character, Gray. He's known to me as the first guy who died horribly in the movie Prometheus. He also plays Shocker in the the recent Spider-Man Homecoming movie. Um, This movie really hangs on his performance, you know, and he really pulled it off for me. His body movements, while aided by STEM, always have this sort of smooth artificial feel to them um, and he's also emotionally vulnerable um, in, in his moments of weakness and sadness uh, he's darkly cocky when he's empowered at times so it's this great really this range in his performance um, both emotionally and what he's doing with his body physically um, and, and I really wouldn't be surprised if this movie led to him becoming a big leading man in Hollywood going forward I don't think it's launching with a really wide release I think it's going to having a somewhat limited limited release um, right now, but uh, it, my hope is that it will catch on and then get a much wider release, and and uh, I'll get to see more of this performer in in other movies, because I think uh, I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing of him in uh, Prometheus specifically, and then uh, also in this movie. The rest of the cast in uh, Upgrade is all solid to me and felt like good fits for their roles. I'm not going to comment further on that. Uh, let's talk about the stunts and the visuals. Um, the fight scenes in this movie were both brutal and artful to me, which is kind of an interesting combination. Stem's fighting style, when uh, he it takes over, reminds me a bit of the dance-like fight choreography of the Matrix, but the effects that his uh, kung fu or whatever have on his enemies are... Are far more impactful and brutal and nasty. You know, the camera also does some cool locking on to Gray um, when he's fighting in stem mode that has kind of like the chaos of the, of the, uh, the of a shaky cam, but while still being locked onto the action. It's a bit like I don't know if this is how they accomplished it, but it's a bit like some of those movies where they will actually attach the camera to the actor. Um, it, well no, they couldn't have done that in a bunch of these scenes. But, you know, when they have a big harness, a big rig that the actor's wearing, and the camera is just you know therefore they're wearing it it's just extended out you know like maybe six feet four feet from them and it's just kind of locked on to their movements, so that basically they appear to be still in the shot while the entire world moves around them so it was a similar kind of effect going on with the camera which just followed him as he would kind of flip around and stuff like that and then sometimes break away and so that he would start moving again and it's hard to describe you you will see some of it in the trailer if you check it out so it'll give you an idea of what i'm talking about but but that they they really use that effect uh well throughout the entire movie i really enjoyed it um it it has some of the chaos and excitement of like a shaky cam, but it's still locked onto the action. You know, one of my pet peeves of the shaky cam is I can't tell what the crap is going on. And that's not the case in this movie. It has that kind of chaos feel of the shaky cam, but it is locked onto the action and so you're able to to really appreciate what's happening. Um there's also a bunch of incidental CGI that fleshes out this sci-fi world and it all felt suited to purpose. So even though I have an eye that's cursed to pick out CGI, uh it, it didn't bother me in this movie. Um the way the cameras is used, let me just say that again as especially in the fight scenes, but also throughout the movie. It has a particular style to it that was cool for me to watch um, without just being artful shot composition. You know, sometimes there can be action shots, especially if they incorporate slow motion, which slow motion isn't a thing in this movie. Um, But, you know, there'll be these action shots that are so beautifully composed that they're just kind of, like, cool to look at. And they can even kind of take you out of the suspense and the action of the moment. They're just eye candy. But I felt like the style of this movie had some of the best parts of eye candy, but it's now eye candy with impact. So... Really kind of uh, entrancing to watch while still keeping me on the edge of my seat. Um, okay, so is there anything of worthwhile, moral, philosophical, or spiritual significance going on in the themes of this story that might trigger worthwhile thought or conversation? I always like to try and consider whether or not that's going on in any kind of fiction that I take in. Um, um, this, this is an AI story. It deals with AI a lot. Uh, it deals with technology a lot. Um, unlike many AI stories that ask us to care about artificial beings and think of them as humans um, and assign worth to them uh, the same way that we, we would assign worth to the human characters in the story, this movie retains a coldness, a, a detachment in the nature of the AI character stem, even though he has this sort of unintended charm and likability that grows out of that very same detachment detached coldness on his part, because he's not human. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't think about kind of the moral issues, the moral dilemmas and stuff that uh, uh, that Gray is, is feeling conflicted about, you know, and so some of the humor comes out of that. Um, this is a movie that presents AI as something that can be fun and cute to interact with um, for the ways that it kind of mimics personhood, but, you know, kind of off kilter. But at the end of the day, it also affirms that AI's are not people. They are not people at all, and should not be thought of as people. Um, that uh, that it's important for us to see through that little trick, that little joke we're playing on ourselves when we interact with uh, an AI um, or a, or a simulated in, simulation of a human or something human personality. Um, that you know, even as we're enjoying. Uh, Kind of tricking ourselves as we interact with those things we're at the end of the day we should we, we should see them as uh artificial as not persons um, while humanizing AI in fiction and giving it uh, the same value as uh, human personhood um, while doing that. Uh, Is consistent with naturalistic or atheistic thinking, which would just say that basically, hey, all we are is kind of machines too. So, what makes us any more special or different from, you know, this artificial intelligence that we would create? You know, that that's going to be more consistent with a a naturalistic or atheistic worldview. Um, But if anything, this movie. hints at being pro-theistic. One element of this dark future is a thorough secularization of society. It was evidenced in a scene by the novelty this character sees and the fact that uh, old paper money, you know, like when she sees it, she hadn't seen paper money ever before in her life. Uh, and she looked at it and she's like, oh, really does have God on it, you know? Uh, and so that was a novelty to her. Uh, and the police detective that's helping out Gray, who uh, is throughout the movie presented as this um sympathetic, caring, and helpful character, uh, it's uh, it's not too subtly, uh, subtly shown that she's wearing a cross around her neck. So, uh, I don't think those are accidents. I think that those are uh, costume choices and a dialogue, you know, brief dialogue moment that are in there on purpose, as well as some of the cautionary elements regarding technology um, that this movie presents, you know. So, um, virtual reality also comes up, as some people in this world choose to spend every waking moment in a fantasy world, and the reason given for that Was that a fake world is a lot less painful than the real world. Um, Now, I mean, we can be sympathetic toward that. I mean, sometimes we can make the mistake really of escaping to entertainment instead of really dealing with and processing through our problems, you know, dealing with them through the truth of scripture or or through time spent with God or through talking to people that can help us out. You know, sometimes we can find it easier to just, oh, I'm just going to escape to entertainment, you know. And under a naturalistic worldview, there's there's nothing objectively wrong or wasteful about a person choosing to spend their entire life in a self-absorbed fantasy, um, if, uh, if they want to. There's nothing objectively wrong with that. Uh, but this movie treats that scenario as a tragedy. It clearly presents that kind of path as one that is a sad one, um, upholding the value of even a dark present reality that is endured over a pleasurable false Fantasy life, um, so anyway, some interesting things to think about, a really enjoyable experience for me. I have no idea what your tastes are in movies, but if I were a time traveler, holy crap, I would go back in time and say, traitor, oh my gosh, go, go, go go, what are, what are you doing? Go see it now? You should have just stopped this video at the beginning and gone to see this movie. This is easily your favorite movie of two thousand and eighteen. It is unlikely to be dethroned for the rest of the year. In fact, you will likely now consider upgrade to be one of your favorite movies of all time. See it, buy it, show it to others, Pater, you're in for a treat. All right, it's rated R for strong violence, grisly images, and language.
0: Data collection complete. Activating music Net
1: 1.0. This week at spiritblade.com, Uh, the sale for the Spirit Blade Trilogy, which is running all summer long, 20% off all three parts of the Spirit Blade Audio Drama Trilogy, whether you're interested in the uh, Legacy Edition or the Special Edition, which includes the songs and kind of of presents them as a musical. Uh, All of that is 20% off, digital or physical, at spiritblade.com. Basically, all summer long, the sale runs until, I believe, August 31st is what I've been putting in the promos. Whatever that is, that's what it'll be. Uh, But anyway, yeah, over at spiritblade.com, that's a a great way to uh, support both uh, Spirit Blade Productions and Christian Geek Central. I haven't talked about this in an update yet. I'm going to in a newsletter update coming up, but what I'm seeing in, in my work for the Storyteller series is that my progress is moving along faster than I will have funds to actually get the licensed music that I need to produce that series and so I'm in a stage right now where I I really need to figure out how I can get some funding. So anyway, this sale is one uh, measure that I'm taking and I'm going to talk about some others uh, in the coming weeks. So, But anyway, uh, just for now, know that that would be a great way that you could support Spirit Blade Productions and Christian Geek Central. We also have our gift codes available, so if you already have all these audio dramas... Um, you can still buy gift codes, which are also 20% off, gift codes for the Spirit Blade Trilogy, and then uh, give those to to somebody who does not have the uh, the Spirit Blade Trilogy yet. So anyway, all of that over at spiritblade.com We've also got a continuing discussion on the forums at christiangeekcentral.com about kind of what we should do to help uh, improve and grow the, uh, the, the text based social interaction of Christian Geek Central. We've had forums for, uh, since the beginning, of uh, Christian Geek Central, but we're floating the topics of Facebook or uh, Discourse or um, what's the other one? Uh, There's Discuss. I can't remember if that's been put up there. Discord. These all sound the same. My gosh. Anyway, I would really love to get your two cents or more on this topic about what we should do um, as we look at how we can improve and build upon the, uh, the the online community and interaction that we have already going on at the forums, whether that involves adding stuff um, or eventually moving from the forums to something else. Um, anyway, I'd love to get your thoughts over at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Just click on forums and then uh, there's a topic there about should we move our community to facebook again over at christiangeekcentral.com at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral this week you'll find my reviews of both solo a star wars story and uh upgrade if uh all goes well again this is time traveling pater so i can't be sure uh and then also uh my e3 jaded predictions and uh, wishful thoughts (laughs) are up as well and uh, i'm really happy with that video you know some you know when when you're putting out content as frequently as I am and of the same nature you know I do so many uncut reviews and I do trial and error a lot you know those different the, the video game review things um and so it it kind of all blends together and uh, but and you know sometimes I I don't get to like finesse something like certainly with the uncut reviews it's like oh I don't uh, you know I just blow through those and it's part of the gimmick and it does save me a lot of time um but you know when I finished editing the, uh, the what I did for the E3 um, predictions and wish list stuff, you know. I was like, and I'm, I, you know, of course, I'm biased. But if you're a creative type, maybe you can relate to this. I finished it, and I was like, yeah, I feel good about that content. Like, I would want to watch this, <laughs> you know. And uh, I don't necessarily stop and have that kind of moment with uh, all the content that I that I put out there, even though I, you know, I do try to to uh, have a high bar of excellence for myself. Um, anyway, uh, I'm just rambling now, man. I uh, I'm really hoping that after this I can sleep before I go review this movie. I would love to sleep a little bit. (sighs) Otherwise, I'm going to just be... I know Pepsi's in my future. I know Pepsi is in my future. Anyway, while you're over at the YouTube channel, if you want to like, share, and subscribe, those are some nice ways to help grow uh, the Christian Geek Central community. What else we got here? I think that's about it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, okay. Just... No, I'm not going to do that thing. Okay, moving on. Let's begin.
2: Burn, ungodly
1: filth. What do you want? To make you ours or to make you despair?
0: Spirit Blade Productions
1: presents... Do you have any idea how much I will make you suffer? The horrific agony that I will inflict. Spirit Blade dark ritual. Hell will be a refuge for you when I'm finished. For more information visit spiritblade.com Nice. Another achievement unlocked. I bet I got more achievements than anybody I know.
0: Yes, sitting in front of a video game for five hours a day is quite an achievement.
1: See, this is why I don't like talking to you.
0: Then why don't you spend more time with real people?
1: Because real people don't respond to console commands.
0: Wow, Peter. You unlocked yet another achievement. You must have more achievements than anyone you know. Behold, you are great
1: and greatly to be praised. Yeah, better. E3 2018 is coming in just over a week. There is so much potential for big announcements, big promises, and eventually... Big disappointments that could come out of this event. I like to both engage in the hype and try to keep my expectations in check, so I'm going to share both my jaded predictions and unreasonable wishes for E3 2018. Now, I don't have uh, the experience or inside track that someone in the games media world would have, but a number of my past wish list items have come true, he said uh, <laughs> somewhat uh, deceptively. Uh, broken Clock is right. Twice a day, right? Uh, so we'll see what happens this year, and stay tuned. From June 9th through 15th, I'll be posting videos probably every day in reaction to the events and announcements from the conferences that, that really stand out to me. Uh, for now, I'm going to go through those jaded predictions and wishful thoughts that I have by category of major publisher showcase events, including the PC Gaming Show, and then I'll include a catch-all general category at the end. So let's start with EA. EA's showcase is going to be on Saturday, June 9th at 11 a.m. Pacific. (sighs) Uh, If you want a little chuckle, go to my reactions to last year's EA E3 press conference in which I said that, oh, they seem to have a strong consumer focus and they're learning from their mistakes and from player feedback and they're having a nice moment of transparency here. Well, now I'm a year older and a Star Wars Battlefront 2 loot boxes controversy wiser. I've also heard it said that this is something of a pattern from EA. They screw up and offend players with mercenary practices, then publicly say they've learned from their mistakes, but then forge ahead without making any real changes for the better. So uh, please forgive my naivete from last year. I tried to give them the benefit of the doubt, even when they'd given me reason to doubt in the past. At this point, I, I-, I can't imagine... Imagine believing any words that come out of the mouths of their suit wearing representatives. So my jaded prediction is that they will feature uh, more sports. And cars, and sports cars, and they will say things not worth believing while wearing tailored suits. Uh, The upcoming Bioware game Anthem will make it even more clear that the studio is done making single-player RPGs, tossing aside their heritage of Baldur's Gate Neverwinter Nights or even Dragon Age Origins, in favor of MMO shooty-blasty jumpy games. And, you know, I've got nothing against those or people enjoying those. I just miss the old Bioware. Oh well. Um, My first wish for the E3 EA event is that they will do something that players like. For example, something crazy like creating a new monetization model for one of their currently high-profile games that's using, you know, microtransaction type stuff, but a new model that doesn't seek to deceive or manipulate players, Uh, and then Implement that monetization model as an update for said game that goes live right then and there in the middle of their presentation. You know, it, it would be a move that says we're changing and you can load up your game and see us changing for yourself right now. I mean, imagine that. Don't announce plans to change or or, or announce plans to make a a consumer-friendly move in the future? Uh, What if they made a move during the conference that can immediately be put to the test by fans and commentators? Uh, You know, give us the proof by the end of the weekend, in deeds, not in words, that you are moving toward consumer-friendly practices. Otherwise, I mean, I can't see why I should trust anything you say, EA, uh, enough to even let your games be a blip on my radar. My second wish for EA is that they could somehow, I don't know how they would do this, but they could somehow make me believe that they still care about true blue single-player RPG experiences for a, a long-time single-player RPG fan like me. That is a tall order I know that uh, there's, there's some kind of Dragon Age game in the works, but it, it sounds like it's going to be an on, increasingly online type of thing. So I don't know what I would need for them to convince me this, but I would love to just walk come away from the EA uh, event feeling like, oh my gosh, they, they are still committed to single player RPGs. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Microsoft is holding their event on Sunday, June 10th at 1 p.m. Pacific. Uh I think they've said this will be their like their biggest showing at E3 yet. It was either them or Bethesda that said that. In any case, uh I'm not really an Xbox fan. I love the games that I played on my Xbox 360, but that hardware and their support of it just failed me terribly. So I've been back to PlayStation ever since. My jaded prediction is that we'll see some of Crackdown 3 and some of the new Gears of War game, and neither one of them will be my cup of tea. They'll just have too much emphasis on action game skill or multiplayer stuff or whatever. I suspect that, once again, Microsoft will play the part of the underdog that I, I kind of want to root for a little, but will still not give me any tangible reasons to think that an Xbox, and that an Xbox console uh, could be in my future. Now, on the other hand, my wishes for the Microsoft event would be, number one, more backwards compatibility stuff uh, done in a way that makes players demand more from Sony. Really, all I want from Microsoft at this uh, point is to do really cool stuff so that Sony feels the need to compete and and match those types of services. And I would really like to see backwards compatibility uh, more featured over at Sony. So uh, keep on doing that backwards compatibility stuff, Microsoft. <laughs> um, my second wish would be, a game focus, which I think they've done a pretty good job of in the last one or two years, if I remember correctly. Um, I'd love to see some exclusive Xbox system games that will release in 2018. That would be great. I'm sure fans would enjoy that, too. Uh, and then number three, just some kind of X factor. I, I would love there to be some jaw-dropping surprise, something that Microsoft does that none of us see coming and that people are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, to really give them some wow factor that will make them strong competition for Sony again. That would be really cool. All right, moving on the Bethesda conference uh, or showcase or whatever it's called. Sunday, June 10th at 6 30 p.m. Pacific is when they're going to be holding this. This is the showcase that I'm most looking forward to uh, with the greatest potential of the bunch, I think, to either delight or disappoint me. Last year's Bethesda showcase was really disappointing to me. I, I, I want to believe that there will be some cool surprises this year, but Bethesda has already announced Rage 2 and more recently revealed a teaser for Fallout 76, whatever this thing is. Now, official details are going to wait uh, uh, until E3 about Fallout 76, but online gaming news site Kotaku reports from anonymous sources that Fallout 76 will be an online survival game, kind of like Rust or DayZ, which, ugh, that was disappointing news to hear. My My jaded prediction is that despite their previous commitment to single-player experiences, Bethesda will increasingly invest and divert resources to online games like Elder Scrolls Online and this new Fallout game. Fallout 76 will be their big release for the fall, and they will spend half their time at E3 talking about it and Rage 2, which will not turn out to be my kind of game. The other half of their time, they will dedicate to DLC for games that I don't play, and to previous games they've released, which will soon be ported to Switch or Remastered for consoles in general. But I don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe that. They've already revealed Rage 2 but with but with hardly any details. Avalanche, the studio that made the open-world Max, Mad Max game that I really enjoyed, they were brought on to help make Rage 2. Maybe for its open-world elements or its driving elements, that would be really cool because I really liked Mad Max. Uh, so there's lots of potential there. I, I like some of the original Rage, but I never finished it, and I would prefer something that has more of an open-world feel with more RPG elements. So, my first wish... For Bethesda is that Rage 2 be an open-world FPS game with uh, strong RPG elements. Maybe sort of like a post-apocalyptic Far Cry. Oh my gosh, that would be really cool. My second wish is that Fallout 76, though made largely probably with multiplayer in mind, will also be like Conan Exiles in that it's a survival crafting game that can also be played uh, single player in a world populated entirely by NPC characters. Bethesda, you do that for me, you let me play offline, you let me play by myself, I will probably buy Fallout 76 on day one. My third wish is for, here we go, Elder Scrolls six to be revealed for release in 2018. Yeah, yeah yeah I know probably very unreasonable but come on Morrowind was released in 2002 four years later we got Oblivion in 2006 five years later we got Skyrim in 2011 three years later uh, you don't necessarily maybe count this as uh, as a part of the main Elder Scrolls series but three years after Skyrim we got Elder Scrolls Online in 2014 so it's been four years since Elder Scrolls Online uh, seven years since Skyrim so I feel like we are well overdue for another mainline Elder Scrolls game now this is coming from a guy uh who released an audio drama trilogy with a two-year gap followed by an eight year gap uh and by the way there's a big sale going on uh this summer at spiritblade.com 20% off the entire spiritblade trilogy you can check it out again at spiritblade.com but anyway i can sympathize i'm not above having understanding or patience for uh, releases and things like this but i would freak the crap out if they announced a 2018 release date for elder scroll 6 oh my gosh that'd be so cool My fourth wish, um, and this has been on my annual E3 wish list since 2015, assuming I cannot have Elder Scrolls VI, my fourth wish is to get a 2018 release date for what I call Skyrim New Vegas. Uh, In other words, an offshoot Elder Scrolls game that plays just like Skyrim, that's in the Skyrim engine, but like Fallout New Vegas, is not another main entry in the series. Fallout New Vegas was outsourced to the developer Obsidian, who basically used the the Fallout 3 engine and made this entirely new game in the Fallout universe. And uh, Bethesda certainly could have quietly outsourced an Elder Scrolls offshoot that would be ready to release this fall. I think it's highly unlikely, but it certainly is possible, right? (sighs) Alright, my final wish. My final wish. The one I want to believe is most likely their big surprise, if they have one, is a reveal and 2018 release date, not just a tease, which is admittedly more likely, for the project referred to as Starfield, uh, which has reportedly been in the works for years. It takes place reportedly in the Fallout universe, possibly acting as a bridge, maybe even, to the Elder Scrolls universe, and is set in space! Okay, I'm ready for this. Uh, I can totally understand why they would want to shake things up instead of just always going back and forth between Fallout and Elder Scrolls. Um, So hopefully they have been working on this. Hopefully it's ready to go this fall. It would be so cool. It does seem unlikely with Rage 2 striking me as the more near release that they're really going to want to give a lot of time and attention to at E3. But if Rage 2 is different enough to not be competition for Starfield, I can imagine that they would want to just release that info early to get the messaging out about that before it is over whelmed by the big shock of Starfield coming in the conference this year, so uh, I think I think I can still dare to dream that both might release before Christmas. Square Enix will be having their event on Monday, June 11th at 10 a.m. Pacific lots of potential here. Fans are excited for Kingdom Hearts 3 and the Final Fantasy 7 remake, but both projects have had repeated major delays over the years, so potential for both excitement and disappointment among fans is probably high. I personally don't care about either one of those projects or the Tomb Raider franchise. My jaded prediction is that most time will be given to Kingdom Hearts 3 and Tomb Raider with a splash of time wasted on a CG trailer for the Final Fantasy 7 remake, or a tease lacking any real details for Final Fantasy 16. my wish however my only wish for Square Enix this year is that we'll get a deep dive of gameplay with commentary for Dragon Quest 11. Uh, this one's coming out in September I-, I played and loved Dragon Quest 1 4 5 and my favorite in the series 8 11 will be the first uh, Dragon Quest game on a home console since the PlayStation 2 generation it's been out in Japan for a year or so and I'm ready for that classic yet tightly paced uh, turn-based combat either way Uh, This game is coming in early September, so seeing more of it now at E3 would be uh, really a treat rather than a mind-blowing surprise. Ubisoft is holding their event on Monday, June 11th at 1pm Pacific. I personally crowned 2017 as the year of Ubisoft for me because I've never enjoyed more Ubisoft games and that Ubisoft open-world formula than I did last year. I finally finished catching up on all of the Far Cry games before Far Cry 5 was released. I enjoyed much of Watch Dogs 2 before getting sick of puzzles, I loved and played through four of the early Assassin's Creed games, as well as started into uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, which I'm still currently digging on, uh, and and I continue to greatly enjoy my surprise 2017 game of the year, Ghost Recon Wildlands. Chances are good that they're going to show off something I like at their showcase this year, but then again. I think to myself, maybe not. Uh, Ubisoft specializes in open-world games, which I love, but sometimes those games, like The Division, are intended to be multiplayer experiences, which I avoid like the plague. Um... The Division Two and the Pirate Ship Battle game Skull and Bones have been confirmed as games that will be featured at their at their uh, showcase, but both have a heavy online focus with apparently no single player uh, like offline you know with n- no other players visible uh, available no no kind of mode that 's going that 's going to fit that bill it 's also been reported that the upcoming beyond Good and Evil Two game that they 're working on is an open world game with an online emphasis in addition to having talking animals, so that's a hard line that I don't know if I can ever cross. My jaded prediction is that Ubisoft will have no single-player-focused experiences uh, in the showcase this year, apart from a possible large expansion to Assassin's Creed Origins. And since I'm not even halfway through that game yet, that's not going to really do much to interest me. They will hold my attention with hopes that The Division 2 will be changed radically from the first so that it now plays just like Ghost Recon Wildlands, but then quickly dash those hopes and make it clear that it's once again just an MMO in disguise. Uh, But my first wish for Ubisoft, if I'm going to wish here and be hopeful, is that Watch Dogs 3 will be announced for spring of 2019. Uh, After all, it needs to come in the spring because I'm going to have to have time for Elder Scrolls or or Starfield in the fall, Um, and that it will no longer feature any time-sensitive puzzles. I loved the open-world antics of uh, Watch Dogs 2, but as with many Ubisoft games, those story missions often have limitations that I quickly get frustrated with. A Watch Dogs 3 with the freedom and fun of a game like, say, Saints Row would nicely fill a gap in my library once I'm done with Ghost Recon Wildlands. And piggybacking on that wish, though much less likely, I think, would be an announcement for a Ghost Recon Wildlands sequel coming in Spring 2019. My second wish for the Ubisoft event is for a new open-world franchise—okay, this is out of left field, guys, so just stay with me for a second— a new open world franchise based on the Terminator intellectual property. Come on. Uh, Why has no one ever made a city-based open-world game where you play as the Terminator trying to eliminate key resistance members from the timeline? I mean, imagine mercilessly telling civilians to get out of their cars while you go from one flaming wreck to the next in pursuit of your target. Open city games are like made for the Terminator intellectual property and Ubisoft is a big enough uh, publisher that I feel like they could get their hands. on that IP and make a really cool game out of it oh my gosh On to the PC gaming show. It's going to be Monday, June 11th at 3 p.m. Pacific. Now, I'm not really a PC gamer except for a few experiences that I can't find on consoles that my PC can still run as it happens, so I don't expect much in this show to really float my boat. My jaded prediction is that it'll be a loosey-goosey, slow, overly long event with plenty of uninteresting filler and conversational advertisements for the host chats with the sponsor for way too long. That's kind of been a mainstay of all of uh, the PC gaming shows at E3 so far. My first wish is for them to cover games that will also be coming to console so that there's something for me as a you know, primarily console player, uh, but games that aren't also aren't getting attention at the other big shows, uh, as well as attention to some PC-exclusive games that have low slow enough system requirements that my PC can still run them. My second wish is to see indications that the gap is getting smaller between PC and console gaming, specifically in the realm of control schemes. Uh, I think uh, I-, I would really love to see GamePad user interfaces to be included as a standard feature in PC games that are normally made with keyboard and mouse in mind. I know that's asking a lot, but man, that would be really cool because I spend almost my entire work day sitting up straight in the keyboard and mouse operating position. At the end of my day, I want to kick back and use a gamepad, and so I would really, I think, get into PC gaming considerably more if gamepad user interfaces were standard in uh, in more PC games. So uh, I know that's kind of like, you know, a console gamer kind of butting into the PC world and saying, I want things to be more like consoles. So I'm sorry about that, but those are my wishes. Sony's event will be Monday, June 11th at 6 p.m. Pacific. Sony has already stated that their showcase will focus on Death Stranding, uh, Spider-Man, Ghost of Tsushima, and The Last of Us Part Now, I have uh, no interest in that last one, but I am curious about Death Stranding and Ghost of Tsushima, whose title does not roll off my tongue, and I kind of wonder if that's going to be working against them at some point. Spider-Man may be the open-city superhero game I've been waiting a long time for, Uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing if that's the case. My jaded prediction is that we either won't get any useful information about what playing Death Stranding will be like, or we will... And it will turn out to be a social media-based game, as some vague references have implied. Ghost of Tsushima will turn out to be way too artsy and niche for my tastes, and the majority of the time will be spent on The Last of Us Part II. My first wish is that Death Stranding will turn out to be my kind of game. Uh, Maybe some sort of experience taking cues from Bioshock. I really am Interested in the visual design of that world, so I hope it's something that I will dig. My second wish is that Spider-Man will get a deep dive uh, expo- exploration of its gameplay, so I can get a sense of what playing this game is going to be like, and also that it won't serve me any red flags in the form of, like, timed missions or other insta-fail scenarios... Just give me a game where it's fun and easy to be Spider-Man in an open world. And then give it some great character-driven storytelling as icing on the cake. Which, if any superhero property is primed to do that, I think Spider-Man is. Uh, Let's see. My final wish for Sony's showcase. This is a mainstay on my wish list since 2015. Disc-based ps2 backwards compatibility or or some other way that i can perpetually enjoy the more quirky or license-based uh ps2 games that are unlikely to be remastered uh i i have no reason to think there's any <laughs> any hope for this until maybe the ps5 i i don't know or no hope at all i I just, put it, I just keep putting it on my wish list every year because someday my PS2 is going to die, and I'll be so sad. Nintendo's event will be Tuesday, June 12th at 9 a.m. Pacific time. It's just going to be another one of their Nintendo Direct pre-recorded videos, although they're going to have live uh, streaming events uh, throughout E3 as well, I think. I haven't bought a Nintendo home console since the Super Nintendo, except to get a Wii for our two boys a few years ago. The cute, family-friendly aesthetic of first-party Nintendo games are just not my thing personally, and neither is the fall and die gameplay of Super Mario. My jaded prediction is that for this E3, Nintendo will focus a bunch on the Smash Brothers and recently uh, announced Pokemon games that are coming to the Switch, and then they'll show a bunch of ports I've already played or, or don't care about. My first wish is for them to clarify or change their plans for legacy games. Currently, there seems to be no plan for SNES, NES, DS, 3DS, Wii, or Wii U games to be purchasable and playable on the Switch through an online store. Instead, uh, they will reportedly be using a Netflix-style subscription to give you access to a limited selection of games as long as you continue subscribing to that service. If I could purchase and outright own all of, say, the Symphony of the Night, uh, you know, series of Castlevania games on the Switch, I'd really consider buying a Switch just to play those games on a TV screen. And if I could. Buy buy, say, all past uh, generation Nintendo games on a Switch eShop, that would probably make the Switch an insta-buy for me. My second wish... It's not really for me, it's kind of on behalf of Nintendo fans in general. I think this wish is slowly being partially granted. I just want to keep it out there because I'd really love the Nintendo to really go further in this in in the direction of granting this wish. And that is, I'd love for Nintendo to become noticeably more fan-friendly beginning with this E3. They rightly protect their intellectual properties, but they do it in a way that comes off to me as cold and greedy. They also seem ...just kind of oblivious to the kinds of things that long-time gamers want, like good uh, online services. They've been slowly coming around by developing new Metroid and Pokemon games. They won a lot of points with fans with uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, and I think the Smash Brothers game is probably uh, good for fans, too... And, and maybe when I say Nintendo fans, I'm not being fair. Maybe I'm narrowly thinking, you know, of Western audiences. Maybe Japanese customers uh, have no problems at all with Nintendo. I, I don't know. But from my very limited vantage point, it seems like there's a huge stubborn delay in responding to the interests of Ninten- the Nintendo fans that I hear talking. And I'd love for those fans to feel more heard and responded to by the game makers that they appreciate so much. Um, all right, let's finish off with some rapid-fire wishes for the whole E3 week in general, followed by some games that I would love to see materialized and be announced. Uh, First, six just general wishes for the whole week of E3. Number one, short wait times for announced games. I prefer six months or less if you couldn't tell already. Games releasing six months or more after next year's E3? should wait to be talked about until next year's E3. I don't want to hear about that. It's wasting my time. Uh, number two, no CG trailers without gameplay right on its heels, whether through uh, gameplay footage that has commentary over it or live demo with commentary. Show me how these games are played. Show me what this experience is kind of going to be. Otherwise, you're just, I feel like it's a waste of my time. Uh, number three, I love E3 as a celebration of gaming, so I hope that it does that again this year, but without assigning more value value and importance to games than they deserve. Sometimes the overinflated marketing language can really encourage uh, us as gamers to just give too much significance and attention and importance to games, and we already have enough trouble doing that as gamers. Uh, number four, entertainment. Hey, I love entertainment. I love well, well-crafted shows, surprises or outrageous and audacious moments and quotes, you know, shocking moments, but, you know, not, not like with jabbing or arrogance, you know, coming from representatives toward other people, and, and I also don't wish failure or humiliation on, on anyone during these presentations. Just cool, memorable, uh, surprising, and entertaining moments. Number five, something cool and that's like available right now that I would like. I mean, I love it when sometimes at these conferences, they'll be talking up some game or some DLC and they'll say, and this is actually available right now. And it's like, Oh, it's cool, you know, and fans get to go download that. Um, Usually those things uh, are not something that I'm personally interested in, so I would love it if they, you know, somebody did a surprise drop like that this year, and it was something that I thought was cool and that I would want to go check out right away. So, uh, yeah, that would be really cool. And finally, number six, this is a game design revolution, an idea I've had for a few years now. I don't think it's going to happen for a long, long time yet, but this is, it's what I call failure adaptivity. I would love for this to be a thing in video Video games, and I'd love for some pioneers to begin doing, creating these kinds of games this year, and that is games where the world changes and reacts to my failure ra- rather than simply sending me back in time, uh, you know, Super Mario style, after you fall in a pit and die, to go and repeat that content until I get it, the you know, right, or do it the way the game developers want me to do it. I hate being sent back in time to repeat material because I failed to do what the developers want me to do in the game. I would rather have the world react to my uh, to my decisions you know i mean when i tell my wife i'll be gone for about an hour getting the groceries and i get back two hours later uh You know, I don't get sent back in time to try and do it in an hour again and see if I succeed. You know, no. Instead, I have a wife that's like, where were you? I needed the car, you know, and so there's some kind of a reaction to my world. I'd love to see that happen in games. I know that's crazy talk. That's That would take so much development to anticipate and have the game react to all the different things that could possibly happen. But I would love for games to continually move more and more in that direction. All right, now some games that I would love to see materialize that I uh, have um, some reason or no reason to think might be coming. Number one, Bioshock 4. This has been on my wish list since 2015. Uh, There has been, I think, some rumors or maybe even confirmation that Bioshock 4 is being worked on, although not by necessarily the original development team. Even so, I would love to get an announcement that this is coming and coming soon. Number two, Singularity 2. Singularity 1 was kind of criticized at the time it came out for being kind of a Bioshock ripoff, but hey, Bioshock hasn't been putting out games, and so wouldn't it be nice to get a, a, a solid Bioshock ripoff, right? Uh, if you haven't played the original Singularity and you like Bioshock, definitely go check it out. Uh, a couple years ago, one of the developers tweeted, going back to Katorga 12, which is the name of the island that the game takes place on, and then I think there's just been silence since then. There's been no indication of what's happening, so I hope that they've just been going quiet for a while as they've been working on the game and then they're ready to announce it at this E3. Number three, a single-player Justice League or DC Universe open world game maybe something that uses something like the saints row engine which in the F- saints row four incorporated superpowers and all kinds of stuff i can totally imagine a single player open city justice league or dc universe game i would love that um man I-, I see such great work being done on the story for injustice and injustice 2 fans are always talking about how cool that is there's a comic book series based on it and i think to myself as a person who's not a fighting game fan my gosh you're wasting story on a genre of gameplay that uh, that that doesn't isn't even known for story people don't even go to that genre really for story it's kind of a welcome surprise when they get a good story there so i would love to see that kind of attention to story and costume design and all that kind of stuff given to a single-player open world dc universe rpg oh that'd be so cool um Number four, a release date for Bloodstained, Ritual of the Night, and just other Symphony of the Night clones in general. I love that formula. There's not near enough. We got plenty of Metroidvania games, but they're really honestly just more like Metroid than they are like the Castlevania Symphony of the Night games, which have like experience and grinding and loot and all that kind of cool stuff. So I'd love to get a release date for Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, and also hear about some other Symphony of the Night clones with 2018 release dates. That would be really cool. Oh, this is pie in the sky, but I would love to get a sequel to Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. I think that game is owned by the city of Massachusetts or some crazy thing like that. I would love for that IP and that game system to be rescued and for a sequel to be made. Wouldn't that be an awesome surprise? It's not going to happen. It's on my list anyway. Number six out of eight, uh, Cyberpunk 2077 from CD Projekt Red. There is a chance that this thing could come out guns blazing at e3 this year I, I i don't know witcher 3 was a game that a ton of people loved i've never been quite in the mood for it's what it particularly has to offer to uh, to really get into it long term i've started it i can tell that it's that's a cool game i can see why a lot of people like it but usually when i come around to it it's not what i'm looking for at that time so anyway i would love to see this cyberpunk 2077 and to, to discover that it's totally a game that i would really enjoy number seven this is kind of a weird one i would love to see the path of exile uh Xbox gamepad user interface option brought to the PC version they basically come out and said we are not bringing this to the PlayStation 4 so I have to set aside my hopes for that but a nice second would be to get the gamepad user interface for my PC because this is totally the kind of Diablo clone that I really dig most Diablo clones just don't quite scratch the right itches that I have in mind for that genre but this one does except I can only play it with keyboard and mouse i'd really love that ui to be brought over and finally number eight uh i'd love lots more info about this game i've heard about recently called atomic heart which looks like it's taking inspiration from the bioshock games it's got a weird like bonkers looking world i just want a lot more information i'd love for it to have a 2018 release date and i'd love to to realize oh my gosh this is a game i will totally love all right well those are my jaded uh, predictions and my wishful thinking. You know, in all of this, I do like to try and keep my expectations in check. Uh, so I like to kind of come back from this and say, Okay, Pater, uh, you know, it's not that you need to think negatively. You can think hopefully, but, uh, you know, still have the right perspective. You know, games can get canceled uh, after being announced at E3. Games can just disappear into the ether after getting hype at E3. Or they can come out at some point and be really disappointing, you know. We, we don't want to set our hopes... Uh, for happiness on these things. That's what leads to disappointment and anger when when things don't turn out the way we wanted. We might tell ourselves, of course, I don't set my hopes for happiness on games, but sometimes if we're introspective and really sit quietly and ask ourselves, you know, why why am I so angry that this didn't turn out the way I wanted, you know, or why do I feel the way I do about such and such? You know, sometimes we can discover that we are giving more uh, value and importance to entertainment uh, than we should, and it's just bound to, to leave us wanting for more. The Bible has some great perspectives to offer on this. 1 John 2 verses 15 through 17 in the ESV says, "...do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions, is not from the Father but is from the world." And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And Ecclesiastes 1, verses 8 through 11 says, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new! It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So in other words, today's new hotness is tomorrow's been there, done that, leaving us looking for that next fix perpetually. Uh, The things that we enjoy will all fade, but God does not change. He is the ultimate source of creativity and excellence. Any finite good, becomes hellishly boring given enough time. That's why sometimes when we think about the idea of living forever, it's like, oh my gosh, that sounds insane. Because all we can comprehend right now are these finite goods that we've experienced. And, you know, they would just ultimately lead to boredom if we had them, you know, forever. But God is the infinite, inexhaustible source of beauty and wonder. So our hope for truly lasting happiness should be looked for in him. All right, well, that's all I've got for now. Um, have fun watching all the E3 coverage on the web, and then I hope you'll come back here throughout the week of E3 to get my reactions and to share yours as well. Feedback! Feedback, give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind? You anyway feedback he can send to p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com um as a reminder guys if you would like some help finding a good church in your area i do want to help you do that if i can um online resources and communities those are a good supplement. Obviously, I believe that with the kind of work that I'm doing, but by nature, I know, I see this increasingly. They, they just can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. Uh, and the context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a local church that just kind of lacks Bible-based intentionality or you're not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at p a e t e at spiritblade.com, and we can just try to look at some uh, websites of churches in your area together as a start. Uh, all right, so I, I said that I was going to comment on that leak that came while I was uploading my thoughts to YouTube about uh, E3 and my predictions and, and uh, wish lists and stuff, and that is that uh, there was a leak from Ubisoft, which they have now confirmed is true, Assassin's Creed Odyssey is in the works. This is another Assassin's Creed game what's surprising to me about this is that ubisoft has said uh in the past kind of like either either leading up to or surrounding the release of assassins creed origins that they were shifting to a planned uh 2 year uh, production cycle now they had been using uh, like two different studios to pump out assassins creed games at a rate of one game per year and fans started no you know just kind of getting tired with some of the formulas there so they realized that they needed to take some elements of the series back to the drawing board they took some extra time and made assassins creed origins which is i mean i played the first uh, up through three, halfway through three, and the Ezio Trilogy. So I played about, you know, one, two, three, or uh, around four. Let's see, Ezio Trilogy plus the first one. So I played over four games, uh, Assassin's Creed games in the series, and Origins is huge, huge compared to those. I even started Black Flag and got a look at the map on Black Flag, and and Origins is huge, huge game. And so I am really surprised that they've got uh, another one coming out potentially this fall or or even as early as like spring, you know, January, February, March 2019. That I mean, man, if I guess if all you're playing is Assassin's Creed and maybe one or two other games, you know, in the year, then then I guess that could work, but if you're playing more games than that per I, like I'm only about a third of the way. I think I said this in my E3 stuff. I'm only about a third of the way through Assassin's Creed Origins. And so while this is kind of cool, I guess, it's only cool for me in theory because it's, okay, well, you know, a year and a half from now when I'm done with Assassin's Creed Origins, then there'll be, well, by that time, probably two more <laughs> Assassin's Creed games that I uh, will be able to buy. But anyway... um I, I am very interested in seeing what they will say about this game. Maybe it will just be a tease, you know? Maybe it won't be like, hey, here's this game and it's coming out this fall or early 2019. So I'm still very curious as to what's going to happen there. Part of me wouldn't be surprised if it, was, uh, if, if it was released, you know, in like late 2018, early 2019. I guess if I were to, to follow my formula and give a jaded prediction, my jaded prediction would be they're going to release it this fall. Which is way too soon, I think. Um, and uh, but that's yeah, that's really that's really weird. Or would it be more jaded to say that they're they're teasing it way way too early, and they're actually going to try to pump DLC and stuff for Origins and and uh, make that work for them as long as they can? I don't know. I don't know what the jaded prediction would be in this scenario. Uh, as far as my wishful thought about this, I don't have any, because like I said, I'm enjoying Assassin's Creed Origins, but (laughs) I don't need another one anytime soon. Um, so, anyway, really interesting stuff. Anyway, that's, that's basically all I've got on the show today, guys. Stay tuned for DS9 shawarma after the credits, or jump back to episode 400 if you'd like to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast over at spiritblade.com. Next week, if God allows it, I'll be reviewing Hotel Artemis, which looks very... Uh, I'm just very curious about that. Uh, and then also I'll be sharing a uh, an anime review with you, which we uh, don't have very often on the show, but I'm very much looking forward to sharing that with you. And that, boy, that podcast, that episode will release the day before my crazy E3 week begins. Oh my gosh, that week is going to be so nuts. I'm already, I've already started feeling the crunch this week, and then next week I've got a lot of stuff to do. Ooh, boy, but... You know, even though the days are long, it is a time that I generally uh, enjoy. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the content that comes out of that as well. Uh, Anyway, till next time, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions by purchasing an audio drama. They are on sale for 20% off right now. Uh, You can also leave a donation or become a Spirit Blade Insider. You can get more information on all of those things from our About page at spiritblade.com. Thank you guys so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time Here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to (laughs) geek out and seek the truth.
0: The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at christiangeekcentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit spiritblade.com. Thank you for listening. Coming through the
1: wormhole, the dominion has endured for two thousand years and will continue to endure
0: long after the Federation has crumbled into
1: dust. No! Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now. All our hopes
3: rest here. And that was for the uniform, the next in our Michael Eddington trilogy. Uh, If you remember back uh, about a season ago, For the Cause, we found out, sorry to spoil something that happened a season ago, uh, Michael Eddington joined the Maquis and betrayed betrayed the Federation. He didn't just leave, he actually used his position to cheat the Federation and... Well, I can't really go into the Maquis because it's actually one of the more complex things Star Trek's ever done. I'm probably going to be doing a Trek Talk about that soon to go into the details. But basically, imagine it's not too dissimilar from the Confederacy in our own history of America and the Civil War, where uh, they broke off and formed their own government. It's generally like that. There's more to it than that, but that. So it's basically a, <coughs> excuse me, a splinter group that's trying to cause a war, that's trying to fight their own war with the Cardassians, and the Federation keeps getting caught in the middle of it. And so now Cisco apparently, even though he has never mentioned it ever since, since he was really angry at Eddington at the end of that episode, apparently for the last eight months, he's been fuming and steaming and waiting to get his hands on Eddington again.
2: For once, DS9 is not giving us the best of character continuity, but...
3: This Nobody episode... Perfect. This episode is not really bad. It's certainly not like, you know, insulting or offensive. But in my opinion, it's kind of weak because they, they drum up something that's supposed to be this deep personal thing. It's driving Cisco to obsession levels. Yeah, because, this is
2: supposed to be his white whale. Yeah,
3: face. because all the captains have at least one thing in their, in their backstory that gives them some sort of a white whale obsession kind of a thing. Um, Kirk had one in one episode that and it always drives him to be irresponsible. Janeway has actually had several, uh, and I'm not even joking about that. She's she ha- she has the most obsession. She's got
2: a lot of buttons.
3: Yes, uh, this is probably Cisco's big one that that actually gets under his skin. It's not just that he won't give up, and it's not that I don't believe it. It's just they all o- it only comes up in an episode about Eddington. And I get why because you don't want to distract with, for example, when he was having his religious visions a while back. Um, we don't want to watch him sit there and like start fuming about Eddington while he's having his visions with the Prophets. But at the same time, it does kind of make it harder to believe that this has been pushing him so much. Um, but Eddington has become a super villain Because he is able to, because he used his position when he was still on their side... He loaded in all sorts of secret disable programs yeah, everywhere. he's got all
2: sorts of backdoors into the Defiant. Yeah. He's able to. Oh, remember they in this episode they introduced the fancy new holo communicator. Yes.
3: Yeah, they introduced a new holo communicator, which it's not a bad idea, but it doesn't make sense in the universe because their 2D dimensions work just fine.
2: Yeah, they've already got the equivalent of Skype communications where you can see the other guy on the perfect screen. Perfect
3: real-time communications.
2: But now they have a thing where there's a circle on the floor and a guy appears in a 3D hologram and talks to you. And it's like, well, really, what does that yeah. add?
3: Now, story-wise... I mean,
2: if you're going to teach someone how to do the latest Federation dance craze, why do you need to see more than the waist up?
3: As if they dance in the Federation <laughs> at all. But story-wise, it makes perfect sense because especially this, this is all about two characters. Who loathe each other? It's very much a you know enemy on enemy kind of thing. So it makes sense as they interact. It's it's like having them right there. You see this in a lot of stories. We have two enemies and they try to they find a way. I know Farscape did this very effectively by having Scorpius be in Crichton's head, so would keep going to his head where he could talk with his enemy one on one. This was, I think, a far far less effective means to do the same thing. That and also. He's not that strong of an enemy, because he, he only appears in three episodes, this whole arc is three episodes, well, separated by seasons.
2: And then you have the problem of, okay, this thing is, you know, superfluous, but I can totally believe they've installed the latest and greatest on the Defiant. My problem is, how does Eddington have <laughs> this technology? Yeah. He, you know, he's
3: he's, he's a refugee a, on a yeah, junk ship.
2: He's a refugee on a junk ship, and yet he's got the latest iPhone that just dropped last week. Yes. What? Or,
3: or the ability to hack into it
2: yeah or or, or he's just that good
3: yeah. he's
2: already jailbroken and well and,
3: and they're doing they're doing some of the Batman stupidity where they have he can do anything yeah, he's and,
2: planned for everything and I
3: always go. I hate that when, when they do that with Batman when they act like he's like he's so good he can outthink anyone it's like no stop that he you know it's a whole thing of he's supposed to be amazing because he has such a strong heart and Determination that he won't give up. It's not supposed to be. He's smarter than all these eight super intelligent aliens from other planets who have all this experience. He's supposed to be just the human spirit. No, we and same thing with anything, It's like instead of just being the guy who used his position, you know. And again, some cleverness. He's a clever man, and I'm fine with that. I I like cleverness in an enemy. I'll take that over an enemy who just comes in like a steam train any day. But it's like. They, they do the, it's the fake cleverness, where he only, ha- he only figured out exactly how to befuddle them for this particular he's move. He's the
2: as the plot requires him to be.
3: Exactly. And, you know, that's, it doesn't read. now there's one moment which I like. They're trying to figure out where he's going next, and they say, okay, well, he, he's got all these planets in range, because he's been poisoning planets so that Cardassians can't live there, only humans can, so that he's going to move his people onto those planets. It actually makes sense. Um, so they say, okay, he's got all these planets in range on a Cardassian run, but all these planets have high security in ships. And here are two planets that have low security and something that he might be interested in. And they say, so there's Planet A and Planet B. And Planet B makes a lot more sense. And so Sisko says, then he'll go for Planet A because he'll go for the less expected. And sure enough, he's at Planet A. It's like, I like that deal. It's like, that's, that's clever.
2: Well, and you get some actual detective work where you know they've got Odo back at DS9 yeah. attempting to unravel some of Eddington's files and come up with things so yeah you you get a little bit of actual detective story but a lot of what you're getting is space chase scenes and Cisco and Eddington hamming it for the yeah. camera
3: and it's not bad but it's not it's not like a fun one like um Uh, Dramatis Personae or the mirror universe where it's like it's gloriously cheesy. They're playing
2: it straight. It's not gloriously cheesy. You're supposed to be taking it seriously.
3: And and it is serious. And they also keep talking about uh, uh, Eddington is kind of a drama queen and he loves Les Miserables which as I understand is high melodrama. It's just... Oh yes. It is just... Even
2: before they made it into a musical it was a delicious slice of cheese.
3: Yeah. And, and so um, he's, he's playing that up, and they get into his head and figure out, okay, he's,
2: Javert he and,
3: sees himself as the hero in the story, so Cisco has to act like the villain, and he actually does act quite the quite yeah, villain. They, they
2: actually get a little bit meta, and Cisco's like, okay, well, what would the villain actually do? What is the hero waiting for me to do? How can I, how can I make this story concept work to my yeah, advantage?
3: Yeah, how, how can I make the story end the way I want it to? Mm-hmm. So, it's not a bad episode. Um, it's only going to be important for one episode after this one. So it's not critical except for if you're watching the season 6 episode where we see Eddington. Um, barring that, you don't need to see this. But it's not a bad one again. There's some good moments. I like that after Eddington has crippled the Defiant, they get it partially rebuilt before they go out again. And so it's it feels more military than Star Trek usually does because they don't have internal communications. So they have to use Nog, with his. Ferengi ears who can actually sort out all the things and he's relaying through his little com badge and so it feels more like you see in a real battleship where the there are all the different officers are calling out things in their station and it seems like chaos but they know how to play through the chaos. Yeah. But one thing that did bother me and I would never noticed this until this viewing was they say at the very beginning we're, we, can't, we don't have transporters, we don't have communications, we don't have this and that. And then by the time they get out there, it's like, okay, well, let's beam these people aboard, and we'll yep. do this, and we'll, we'll talk to these people. And Someone who should have like, been
2: editing the script was asleep at the switch. And it's
3: like, d- just don't say you won't have these things if you're going to use those things. That, that's fine. I, I don't, it's okay if you don't have internal communications, but everything works out to external. Then just do that, but don't. They say, we do not have communications outside the ship. We do not have transporters. And yet they use those things. And it's like just take out that one line. That's all I ask. Just stop Deep Space Nine's better than this. This is a Voyager mistake where they just screw with their own stuff.
2: Come on, Deep Space Nine, don't let us down like this. No, but what about next time? Is it gonna be better?
3: Oh, I am not sure. I can't get to it. No. Um, we'll see what it is next time. I'm so sorry. We'll right probably be better. Probably, but again, not a bad episode. Just right in the middle and not that just important kinda, to watch. Meh. But if you want to see Cisco act like a villain without it being funny, then this would be a good episode.
2: If you want actual funny dramatic
3: persona. <laughs> we'll see you later.